Hi, this is Crystal and welcome to Dreaming of Heaven. Now, today's video is End Times Deceptions Part 2. So this segment is all about the two witnesses as spoken about in Revelation 11. So what prompted this teaching was seeing comment after comment after comment saying, if we're in tribulation, then where are these two witnesses? If we're this close to the end, where are they? This was written everywhere, not just on my channel. I had seen this on many other channels as well. Now, as I was seeking the Lord through his word and through prayer, he reminded me of a dream that I was given a few weeks ago that went with this. So how amazing is that? I knew that the dream had significance, but didn't realize that it was all leading up to this teaching today. So now on top of this very, very spiritual teaching, uh, this dream that I was given was on September 11 of all days. Um, now, this is a dream that I know that you're going to love and have a giggle at at the same time. So for those of you who know who Yul Noah Harari is from the World Economic Forum, um, you will know what he thinks about God and Christianity and how they're dead and it's the things he says are just absolute blasphemy. My mock-up image of exactly what I saw in my dream of him is so hilarious that you will have a giggle even though it's got a serious note to it which is very empowering on our behalves. Um, you know I think it's something that will make you smile. Now, as always, um, I will have uh, most of the scriptures on the screen. So please feel free to pause as we go along and find the passages in your Bible if you need to. Um, I'll be using the KJV. Um, so let's kick things off with the dream. So here is the visual for you. Please take note of Yul Noah Harari and have a little giggle because this is exactly what he looked like in my dream minus the little censored sticker that i have there now this dream started off with me running into my bedroom and locking the door behind me i knew there were evil people trying to get into my house as i was in my room my daughter who i will call l slid under the door she came to tell me that evil men were looking for me. At that time, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon me. And he spoke to me and said, I have given you the power to tread on serpents. I then grabbed Elle by the hand and walked out into the hallway where I was confronted with a very rough, you'll know a Harari. Now, Yule was stark naked. And he literally looked like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. It was the most hideous sight. Now, Yule's head was the head of the red hairy devil emoji, but with Yule's face. Now, he was full of anger and he was yelling at me and he had spit flying out of his mouth everywhere. It was, it was honestly the most hideous sight. I stood in front of him though without any anxiety and said to him in a very firm voice, you cannot touch me and you know it. I have the power to trample over you. Now depart from me, Satan. Yule Gollum Emoji Harari stomped off like a child chucking a tantrum while Elle and I 
left with a bounce in our step and that was the end of the dream. Now let's have a look at some of the aspects of this dream because there's so much symbolism in here and this ties into both the Bible and the world that we're living in today. So first of all, I could feel evil people trying to get into my house. My house is my temple, my tabernacle or my vessel. So just like in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Satan, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know that this is exactly what Satan's doing today. Planting his seed in the temple of men, corrupting all flesh, just like in the days of Noah. So next I ran into my bedroom and locked the door behind me. So this is very symbolic of being in prayer. So Matthew 6, 6 says, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father in secret and thy father will seeth in secret and shall reward thee openly. And then also in Psalm 91, 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. So this is another 911 call, Psalm 911. So when I felt the evil coming upon me, I went into my secret place. I shut the door of my closet. That's my secret place. So while I was in there, two things happened. So first, L slid under the door. Now, L's name means happy, and someone who is happy rejoices. And L, she is my little angel. So an angel is a messenger and Elle was there to give me a message to rejoice, even in these tough times. She was also looking at me, or should I say looking up to me, to see what I was going to do. So this is a reminder that our little ones are watching us. If we're anxious, so are they. And if we're scared, so are they. If we're strong, so are they. If we have strong faith, so do they. It is these little ones that God has entrusted us with. So we really need to make sure that we're being strong for them and showing them what faith in Jesus is. Now, the second thing that happened while locked in my room was I received the words of wisdom of the Holy Spirit who reminded me of Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. These words the Holy Spirit spoke to me gave me the confidence to go out and face the enemy, knowing that he could not harm me without God's permission. So I then stood in front of Satan in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I said to him, you cannot touch me, and you know it. And then after that, I said to him, depart from me, Satan. Now, he was stark naked. And that is because everything that he has been doing with this whole plan demonic and everything else leading up to it and all the things that he's doing behind the scene are being revealed. And he is standing there naked for us all to see his shame. So I hope that, you know, <laughs> we can have a little giggle at that, but we can also feel empowered that this is the power that we have been given. 
Now, that power has been given to the two witnesses. So this is where I would really like to go into a study on the two witnesses because, again, this is the difference of, and I talk about it all the time, but it's because it's so important about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And that means having spiritual eyes to see and not looking at everything literally and carnally, but looking at it from the symbology that revelation is. Because revelation, nearly everything that's used in there is symbolic. So let's go on and we'll start breaking down some of the verses that are in there and then we will look back through different scriptures in the Bible to get the proper interpretation of what the two witnesses are. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Revelation 11, we will read verses 1 through 14. Um, I don't have these on the screen at the moment, but as we break this down verse by verse, I will pop each verse on the screen. So I'll start at chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, verses 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For this is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain the men of seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now, we're going to have to go verse by verse here to understand what this means. So the whole book of Revelation is apocalyptic. 
So apocalyptic literature is all very symbolic. So just to get your mind around some of the symbology that is in Revelation, we're going to go through a couple of things first just to get you into that spiritual mindset before we then start going um, verse by verse by verse to see what all of this actually means because we can't take this literally. So like I said, let's have a look at some more symbology that's throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. So one of the first symbolic things in Revelation is in the first chapter, Revelation uh, 1.13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girth about the paps with a golden girdle. I'll go down to verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was the sun shineth in his strength. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So here you can see that the symbolism in this first chapter of Revelation was explained. So the mystery of what those symbols were were explained. So the stars were the seven churches and the candlesticks are the seven churches. Oh, sorry, the stars are the angels of the seven churches and the candlesticks are the churches. So this here is straight up telling you that this book is full of symbology. Um, you know, we know that the sharp two-edged sword is the word and the sword is your Bible. Um, you know, as Christians, we know these things, that there are certain things that are symbolic, just like Jesus isn't a lamb. It's just symbology and that Jesus isn't a lion either, because how can he be a lamb and a lion? So again, we can't look at everything literally and this whole book, like I said, is all symbology where we need to put on our spiritual eyes and we need to study to find out what the meanings of things are. So let me show you another example. So I think that the four horses in Revelation 6 is a perfect example of the symbology that's in Revelation. So we know that there is not going to be four horses riding across a sky and one that's white, one that's red, one that's black and one that's green. It's the symbology that they stand for. So the white, for example, is the bow and the crown, or should I say the toxon and the corona. <laughs> um, now that horse came to conquer and that horse has absolutely conquered. The red horse is to take the peace from the earth so that people can kill one another and it's given a sword. Now what's a sword? A sword is a tongue in the Bible. So again, it's symbolic. So we learn this in Psalm 64, 3, 
who wet their tongue like a sword and bent their bow to shoot their arrows even bitter words this the sword is all about what comes out of someone's mouth so what had happened with this whole plan demonic over the past two years they were given the sword and that sword is the power of the tongue now the black horse the balance is in the hand so again we know it is not going to be someone sitting on a black horse with balances in their hand that this is all symbolic and that a measure of wheat for a penny and don't hurt the oil and wine um, so we know that this is all about famine and inflation it's all symbolic for that and we know that the wine and oil again that's symbolic for christians and then the same thing with the pale horse so this is death and hell where uh, it's all about um, you know killing with the hunger and the sword and death um, so it's all of these symbols again are they're symbols it's so once you start to understand that revelation is symbology and then like what i just did before in uh with the red horse and we went back and we looked at psalm 64 3 to prove that the sword is the words that come out of the mouth that come from the tongue because their tongue was like a sword once we do this with the rest of revelation and especially the two witnesses this is where we'll understand exactly what this means so this is uh one last example that i'll give you before we jump into the study of the two witnesses um so this is revelation 17 and i'll start at verse 5 because this is one um chapter where it does actually explain the symbolism within the chapter so upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth now do we believe that this is actually a person who has written on their forehead mystery babylon the great mother of harlots and abominations of the earth no so just like the mark of the beast isn't a literal stamp on the hand or on the forehead which we've gone over in past videos before so let's keep reading on from verse 6 to see exactly what all this means and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which have the seven heads and the ten horns. So again, it's not an actual physical beast that has seven heads and ten horns. We know that this is symbolic. The beast which thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit so who send, ascends out of the bottomless pit who was and is not but will come again that is satan and go into perdition and they that dwell upon the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is here is a mind that has wisdom 
The seven heads are seven mountains. So again, not physical heads, they are symbolic for seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue for a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth king and is of the seventh and goes into perdition. So you can see that the, the beast is the eighth. There are seven kings. Um, so they are literal because it is the symbol of the heads of the dragon that explain that. So it's only literal once the symbol is explained, but the symbol itself is not the thing that is literal. So like I said, that the a, a beast character like what I have pictured on the screen here with a woman sitting on top of it, holding a cup um, with a stamp printed on her forehead is not what we are going to see. Again, it's all symbolic and um, it is all actually written in that chapter for that one. So it's a nice, easy one. Now, not all of Revelation is that easy to uh, unravel, I guess. <laughs> so Revelation is a revealing, not a concealing. So God reveals mysteries. So like Daniel, for example, that is a book of mysteries. And th there's a lot of revelations for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. You know, those who walk spiritually and not walking fleshly, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, so our God, he is not a God of confusion. Um, man will confuse you um, to make you think something is literal when it's not supposed to be. So looking at these symbologies um, of these last couple of things that I've shown you should hopefully get you in the headspace of now being able to have a look together at these verses of the two witnesses to go back and have a look throughout our scriptures to find out what some of these things are, you know, the olive trees, the lampstands, all of those sorts of things. So we'll go verse by verse um, and I'll bring those verses up on the screen and any other scriptures that come with it as well. So we're not going back and forth everywhere. So let me just read verses one and two again, because we'll break both of these down together. So, and there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for forty and two months. Now I have a lot uh, that I would like to talk about in this one because there's a lot of symbolism in here. Now, and there was given unto me a reed like a rod. So here they've likened the reed to a rod. Now a rod and a staff. John was measuring the temple of God. So what is the temple? We are the temple. So those of us who go to the altar in prayer and worship within our temples, we've been weighed and measured. So this isn't a measurement like meters or inches or anything like that. This is like a weighing, that type of measurement. 
and we worship within our temples because we know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Now, I really want to talk a bit about um, this rod and what this rod means. So uh, just give me a sec as I turn to my page. You know, the rod is so symbolic um, because your rod is actually your testimony. It is all of the things that God has done for you. Now, when David went to fight Goliath, what did he take with him? He didn't just take his slingshot. He took his rod. Now, he rejected the material armour and he took the armour of God, so his rod or his staff, which is his testimony. So David had just smote the lion and the bear who came to take one of his lambs. So David wasn't puffed up in, with self-pride, but instead he knew it was God's divine intervention that saved his little lamb that allowed him to beat this bear and this lion, that it was his mighty hand. Now, the famous verse out of Psalm 23 says that, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, every dream I've had, I write down. Every spoken word I have, I write down. Or every time, you know, he has literally dragged me out of the pit, I write these things down. And I actually call this my rod. My sword is my Bible, but my rod is my testimony. Now, when fear kicks in or, you know, when I think I'm going a little bit crazy, I lean on my rod. This holds me up. When I'm ready to fall to the lies of the enemy, I grab my rod and I fill my lamp with oil. The rod is symbolic and what an absolutely beautiful symbol that is. Um, and actually, in fact, the the first Jews, um, you can do some research on this yourself, they actually used to engrave uh, little symbols and pictures on their rods and on their staves uh, that were a part of their testimony. So if you think about David and what we've spoken about with him, he may have engraved a lion and a bear and Goliath. He would have some of these things inscribed on his rod. So, you know, this is what the rod is talking about here. So, like I said, it's just such a beautiful symbol. Now, the court without the temple are those people who don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. So it's either because they don't believe in God or they don't believe that we are the temple of God whose Holy Spirit dwells within us. So these are the carnal-minded Christians who are looking for the third temple and that man that will physically be sitting in the temple. Now, this court is given over to the Gentiles to tread underfoot for the 42 months. Now, we know that the 42 months is the time the beast is given power to overcome the saints. And we find this out in Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds, tongues and nations. This war is the war on the seed in Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. So remember how Satan was very wroth with me in my dream. Uh, was wroth with the woman who went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So remember war seed, warp speed, D to the N to the A altering, Yahweh name removing, 666 inducing triple helix, chimeric transhumans, 
that are part iron, part clay, that have the seed of the fallen star, the Lucifer ace, the shining one sitting within their temples, the temples of God. These people are most likely honour God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So they're much like the Israelites who got themselves out of Egypt. <laughs> um, if you actually read on in Exodus, uh, it baffles me that after the amazing things that God did, they ended up in the end attributing it to themselves and was like, yes, look what we did, rather than acknowledging God or Jesus. So those who attribute everything to themselves and their successes and give no praise or honour or anything to the Lord, they don't see the power of God in everything that they do. So their rod or their staff is empty. You know, it's full of pride and boasts. It's, it's got no testimony of God on there. This is why they fell away. Um, you know, this is what the great falling away is. This is why they get trampled underfoot. Um, and later on, we find out as well that trampled under feet will also mean the wine press too. So as you'll see, you know, the, the rod and the staff is an absolute, absolutely beautiful um, symbolic thing that has been used here. And it doesn't mean the things that, you know, our carnal mind would think. And this is why we need to look at what the symbol is and go back in our Bibles and search for some of these words to find out what they truly mean. Verse three, and I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So power, going back to the dream, we have power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Again, symbolic. We have power over our enemies because he who dwells within us is much more powerful than Satan. I'll talk more a little bit more about this power shortly. Now, for the thousand two hundred and three score days, um, this is the 42 months, uh, exactly like what we spoke about in verse two. So let's have a look at this being clothed in sackcloth. Again, this is symbolic. There is not two literal people walking around wearing Hessian sacks. So sackcloth is symbolic of mourning. It's also symbolic of repentance and fasting and, you know, humbling oneself. Um, so to understand this better, I want to have a look at a few scriptures. So one about mourning, uh, Genesis 37, 34, Jacob put on sackcloth as he was mourning what he thought was the death of Joseph. Um, I'm not going to read all these scriptures in their entirety, but I've listed some there on the screen for you that you can pause and go and read yourself or um, you can come back to afterwards. Um, now in Job 16.15, Job put on sackcloth um, as he was mourning the loss of everything, his entire family and all of his possessions. Uh, so for repentance and fasting, so Jonah, uh, in Jonah 3, 5, everyone in Nineveh uh, heard Jonah's prophecy and put on sackcloth for repentance and called a fast. So they humbled themselves before the Lord and sought for forgiveness. 
showing God how truly repentant you are by fasting and being in much prayer is honestly the most powerful thing that you can do. And like I said, the putting on sackcloth is that humbling yourself, getting down on your knees. It's that's what it actually means. So um, Esther chapter four is proof of how the Lord moves um, and how he did move when Esther called every Jew to fast and to put on sackcloth. So, um, you know, today that Jewish holiday is called Purim. So that's still celebrated today. And, you know, that's how powerful these types of prayers are. Um, so just to recap, the power is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, not superpowers like Hollywood will have you think that they are. Sackcloth is symbolic for the deepest, most sincere petition type prayers, you know, prayers of fasting, getting down on your knees in complete humility in front of the Lord, calling for repentance or mourning. Now, for as who these two witnesses are uh, that prophesy for the 42 months or the 1260 days or the three and a half years, we need to read uh, verse four to know what the symbols are here. Verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So now we just need to work out that what these symbols of the olive trees and the candlesticks actually mean. So for the olive trees, we can find this in Romans 11. Now I'm not going to read the full chapter, but I do urge you to either pause um, now and read the whole chapter yourself or take note and um, study it for yourself afterwards. Now, just to summarize what Paul is saying about the olive trees in this chapter um, is that the olive tree is representative of the Jews and that the Gentiles are being grafted in. So Paul chooses the cultivated olive tree to portray Israel and the wild olive tree to represent the Gentiles. So the cultivated olive tree is pruned and nurtured so that it bears much fruit. The fruitless branches are cut off and discarded, yet the roots remain intact. Now, the Gentile wild olive tree has been grafted into that cultivated root. So there's your two olive trees. They are, one is the Jews and one is the Gentiles that's grafted into the cultivated root. So the cultivated olive tree and the wild olive tree. So what I love about this symbol is that the olive tree bears both fruit and oil. So the fruit of the spirit and our lamps being filled with oil. So representative of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just such a beautiful picture when you really understand what the symbols mean. Now, the two candlesticks are very similar. So in Revelation uh, one twenty, we see that the mystery of the candlesticks is revealed by Jesus as being the churches. Now, in that verse, there's seven churches, but here we see only two candlesticks. So it still represents the churches, but it represents one one candlestick represents it being the Jews and the other one represents being the Gentiles. Now, I love how Zechariah 4 um, verses 11 and 14 puts it all together. So let's read that together now. 
then answered i and said to him what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof and i answered and said unto him what be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves and he answered me and said knowest thou not what these be and i said no my lord and he said these are the two anointed ones that stand by the lord of the whole earth so these that stand by the lord this stand by the lord mentioned it's mentioned both here um, and also in verse four um, in revelation that we've been studying so this simply means coming before the throne of god in prayer and supplication in humility in fasting in mourning in sackcloth so you know that's how we know that we are the two witnesses so those who stand before the throne of god are the two witnesses we are the ones who have put on our sackcloth who are mourning the things that are happening in the world we are mourning the loss of souls um we are repenting of you know all of our past sins and present sins because we are not perfect but through jesus we are being sanctified and made holy you know he is washing us white and making us pure so now we're going to move on to verses five and six so i hope that you've sort of kept up with me at the moment um you know this may end up being a video that you might need to sort of go back and rewatch a couple of times um but like i said you know please pause and go and read through all of those scriptures so verses five and six and if any man will hurt them fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemy and if any man will hurt them he must in this manner be killed these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will so now hopefully um, we're starting to see things in more of a spiritual sense so if any man hurts them is mostly emotionally here now remember that our tongue is our sword and the fire that proceeds out of our mouth are our words the holy spirit speaks through us and in luke 21 verses 14 and 15 it tells us to settle in our hearts not to meditate before what we will say for he will give us a mouth and wisdom which our adversary shall not be able to gainsay or resist this is the devouring of our enemies that is spoken about in this verse now if any man hurts us in this way he must be killed in a like manner again this is spiritual he will be killed with the sword with the fire with the words empowered by the holy spirit now in verse 6 gives us the power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of our prophecy to have power to turn water to blood and to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will so this is simply a reference to the power that we have in god through the holy spirit these are the signs the prophets before us did so now remember we are that wicked and adulterous generation that will be given no other sign other than the sign of jonah 
So what is the sign of Jonah? What sign did Jonah give? He told the Ninevites to repent. That's it. Nothing else. He had no other special signs, but he had power in, the, in his word. That is the sign that we are to give. There is power in us telling others to repent that the kingdom of heaven is near. There are still people out there that can be saved. People that turn to God in sackcloth and be humbled, they can be grafted into these olive trees still. Until that day where the door is shut, which is right as we're about to leave, we still have work to do and there are still people that need to be saved. So, like I said, the having the power and, you know, performing all of these signs and that that was all just a reference. Like if you think back to what Moses and Aaron did in front of Pharaoh, um, but like I said, we're not going to have the same power because the, the generation that we live in is so wicked and adulterous that the only sign they're going to be given is that sign of Jonah. But don't underestimate the power in that, in calling people to repentance, because it is a very powerful thing. And it is with the fire that proceeds from our mouth that we can do these things. Again, we don't talk of our own. We allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and he gives us the words to say. So this is where things are going to, um, you know, start getting a little bit hard. Revelation 11, 7 to 8. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So the whole world is Sodom and Egypt. Sodomites are absolutely everywhere. They've infiltrated story time in kindergartens. Um, they are enforcing their propaganda on our children everywhere. You know, we have perverted pedos running our countries and governing bodies. Um, there are also Egyptians everywhere. So these are those that are lovers of self, that are vain, that are materialistic. You know, these are the elites that are hoarding all the world's wealth, that are trying to put everybody into slavery uh, to gain the ultimate power, basically. This is the world we live in that Jesus once lived in too and was crucified in. Now, some of us that have the testimony of Jesus will be killed. Not all of us, but some. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So not only do we need to comfort one another saying, you know, we're not all going to die. Some of us are going to remain. However, we do need to also comfort one another and say, you know what? God's word says that you may need to lose your life for your testimony of Jesus. Um, 
but to not worry because you will be caught up in the air and you'll be forever with the Lord once he returns. Now, there's some confusion here as to who the dead that rise first are. So let's read Revelation 20 uh, verses 4 and 5 to find out. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So only those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus who did not receive the mark are those that get raised at this time. Everyone else who died in their sin, even though they are still maybe believe in Jesus um, because, you know, the mark of the beast hasn't been around the whole time, they won't be raised until the thousand years is up. So those who uh, may die uh, for the word of God and their testimony of Jesus, um, it's only going to be for a very brief period of time that they're going to be dead for. So let's move on to the next couple of verses to see where this is all heading. So let's read 9 and 10. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. So why would these bodies not be put in graves for three and a half days. So the three and a half days is, um, you know, obviously in reference to Jesus who was also in the tomb for about three and a half days before he was raised. So the, the treaty that's being signed, which gives complete control over to the who, um, once the next plan demonic comes, then they basically control everything. And, you know, as we've seen from the past two years, those of us who have not taken the mark are basically like parasites. Now, with the technology that is in these people, um, you know, really getting to their minds and telling them that we really are the ones that are causing all of this is going to be so much easier than what it has been in the past. So, you know, once we're gone and they realise that they're fine because, you know, they've, they did the right thing by, you know, taking the shot, then they will be happy and they will be sending gifts to one another. And, you know, we, we, we have probably tormented them, you know, we've told them to not take this. Uh, we tried to warn them and they, they haven't listened because they haven't been lovers of truth and they've been handed over to a reprobate mind. So in their mind, they will see this as a great thing. So verses 11 and 12. And after three and a half days, the spirit of the life of God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. So 
at first they will be sending things to each other because they will be thinking that they've done the right thing and, you know, because we didn't take the shot to keep us safe, um, that, you know, that's why we have died. But then just like what happened with Jesus, the spirit of God will enter into us, those of us who have who've died, obviously, um like i said not everyone will because we went over that before but those that have died um the spirit will enter into them they will stand up where they are laying in the middle of the streets and it will be jesus who is coming with that trumpet like what we read in first thessalonians he will be the one that's coming with the trumpet and he will be saying come up here these are the dead that are in christ that ascend up into the clouds and their enemies watch them and then those that were alive that didn't uh you know die they will um you know meet in the clouds as well so i really do think that we should encourage one another with those words because whether we are alive and remain or whether or not we are one of the ones that are laying in the street we will only be laying in the street for three and a half days just like jesus did uh in his grave three and a half days before the spirit entered us and then we have our glorified bodies so that's amazing <laughs> so let's read um verses 13 and 14 to finish this off and the same hour there was a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell and in the earthquake was slain of men seven thousand and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to god the god of heaven the second woe is past and behold the third woe cometh quickly so this same hour so this was the same hour that we just read before where um the dead the spirit of god is going to come into them and there's going to be a great earthquake so this is seal six so this is where a tenth part of the city is going to fall and there are going to be seven thousand men that are going to be slain from this and the remnant were affrighted so who are the remnant that it's talking about here um, that gave glory to the god of heaven so the this remnant is going to be the remnant that god had promised that would be left of the israelites so you can read more about that in romans chapter 11. now he promised that there would be that remnant from israel and that the reason why they like he has purposely hung their hearts so that us gentiles have a chance and for our time to be fulfilled so our time will be fulfilled then and then there will be that last um probably five months like i said where it's the torment on those who have taken the mark of the beast uh where these other people will come to repentance um you know some of these israelites will realize that jesus was their messiah obviously and that they missed him so they will be putting on their sackcloth and they will be witnessing for that last five months um you know because it does when it talks about the two witnesses witnessing for um 1260 days uh, because there are so many of us now that we know that they're the Jews and the Gentiles doesn't mean all of us are going to prophesy for the whole time you know we all might be given different sections of that time so um like I said you know once um you know there's also going to be 
a bunch of lukewarm Christians that haven't seen where we're at in time because either they've listened to the doctrines of men, um, but, you know, these would be the people that still have um, their code intact. Um, these are the people that will be frightened and they will give glory to God as well. Now, this is the second woe um, and the third woe is coming quickly. There is only three woes. So that last woe is all of God's bowls of wrath that will get poured out. So I know that, um, you know, with the way that Satan has infiltrated the churches and, um, you know, theology schools and things like that, he's really taken the spiritual aspect out of everything and made men think of everything very literally and very carnally, you know, from it, like everything from science and evolution and all of those things, you know, he really has infiltrated everything. Um, so I, I really do pray that, you know, you've received this message well. Um, please go back and watch it again. Um, pause, um, you know, go and read through some of those scriptures that I went over to get the whole chapter, to get the whole context. Um, do word searches. You know, we have all the Bible apps these days, which are so amazing. And that is the easiest way to work out what some of these symbols are type in olive trees, type in candlesticks um, or lampstands, depending on which um, version of the Bible you're using. Um, always look at your Strong's Concordance because like I've spoken about before, there are so many different translations and there are so many wrong that you really need to be looking at what the original Greek and Hebrew words were. Um, so I do understand that sometimes the King James is a little bit hard to read. So always sort of, like I said, it, it doesn't, ne doesn't necessarily matter which version you read as long as you are checking um, in the, you know, like interlinear um, concordances and things like that to make sure that the translation of the Greek and the Hebrew word is done correct. That is the most important thing that you can possibly do and do that word study because when they translate certain things, it may not be what the word meant. So like I said, you know, there's a, a few things in here that um, are probably new. Um, to some of you, some new revelations and things like that. Um, you know, I do, I hope that you receive this well. Um, now, just to add at the end, um, I haven't asked this in any, any of my videos, um, but I, I please subscribe because I need to get to 500 to subscribers to get to a community page. Now, I do not care about the numbers at all. However, having a community page means that I will be able to just share documents. So if I have any word studies or anything like that, or if I've got any Bible studies or if I've got any evidence um, that I need to share, I can do that through a community post rather than having to make a whole big video. It's not going to stop me from making videos, um, you know, when the Lord prompts me to. However, it's a really great way to, um, you know, share things uh, at the click of a button. So, um, like I said, if you haven't, please subscribe. That would be great. Um, so I will leave you with that. Um, I hope you have the most blessed week. And all I'll say is in your prayers, please ask for 
the spiritual eyes, please ask for wisdom and knowledge and discernment. They are the most important things. We don't need to be praying for anything materialistic. We don't need to be praying for, you know, God, can you please make sure that if, you know, all the banks shut down and I can't get my money that, you know, you will give me enough food. He he will do those things. We really need to be seeking that wisdom and knowledge. We need him to be un like revealing all of these mysteries and giving us revelations and like I said, that wisdom and knowledge and discernment, that's what we need the most at the moment. So anyway, have a blessed week. And I, I like I said, um, I really hope this has blessed you.